Often employers require employees to be on standby and avail themselves at a moment's notice. So, what's the deal with standby allowances then? This is stuff employers should know. Welcome to Stuff Employers Should Know, the podcast navigating the legal complexities of South African employment and labor laws. Proudly brought to you by LabourNet, management's ultimate HR solution. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Barry Gordon-Davis, and standing by in the wings with his fingers on the levels, producer, yasa, yes like it, Ismail. We are joined by Shamira Angamia, attorney, national litigation manager, and industrial relations specialist at Labournet. That's a seriously long title. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Barry. Thank you so much for having me. And with that title, I'm sure you're going to be back and be a friend of the show and come and speak about many topics that we may have in future. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so anyway, so due to the nature of many professions, employers may require employees to be on standby, ready for duty or immediate deployment at a moment's notice. Um, it's quite predominant in the services industry or where service is provided out of the traditional office hours, really where um, service providers have to provide a 24-hour service, if you want to say that. Um, so firstly, what, what is the concept of standby? And when is an employee considered to be on standby rather than just being seen as working his ordinary hours? Okay, so like you mentioned, it is quite predominant um, in particular industries. Uh, for purposes of this discussion, let's call them 24-7 industries. Um, so, for example, your logistics industry, uh, hospitality, metal industry, those sort, of, um, those sort of industries do place quite a heavy reliance on standby. So what a standby allowance is, or standby in general, um, it's basically compensation paid to employees who are required to be available to render services outside their normal working hours. Now, the reason it's not part of ordinary working hours as we know it is because the employee is not actually required to render services for the full duration of the standby. The employee is only, only required to be available to work should the need arise. So basically, they are waiting for that call. Correct. Um, you know, is there, there might even be a possibility that during a standby shift, they don't work at all. Um, surely then the no work, no pay principle would apply? Not really. So in most instances, um, the standby allowance is payable irrespective of whether the employee actually works during that time. It cannot be offset against normal remuneration. So it's something over and above the normal rate. So effectively, you are paying that person due to the fact that they wouldn't be able to ordinarily go on their after-hour businesses, if you Correct. would say that, um, carrying on doing their things. They have to be available. They have to um, um, ensure that they are contactable. All that has to happen, and that obviously then comes with uh, the onus on the employer to have to then remunerate them for that. Now, what rates uh, would standby need to be paid or standby allowance need to be paid at, um, let's say, whether it's worked or not worked? Can it be different? Um, so certain industries regulate their standby allowance rate. So for example, a domestic worker may be required to, to be on standby and they'll receive a particular fee. So it's 38 rand 18 um, per hour as a standby allowance. And that's obviously current, right? Correct. The disclaimer is that at this, moment, at this moment, make sure that you ensure that you know what the current 
minimum rate would be. 100%. So the metal industry, for example, and the motor industry, they they also stipulate what the allowance is and how it should be calculated. And if the exact amount isn't stipulated, then it would most likely be by agreement between the employer and the employee. And if the employee actually works during that time, then your normal rates of pay are due to the employee together with the standby allowance. So, for example, if the person needs to attend to a call on a Sunday or or after hours on public holiday, then Sunday rates as well as the standby allowance will be applicable. And um, you were talking about different industries. Uh, There might be employers that uh, might not know if they form part of an industry or not. Um, what what then gives rise to a specific industry standard or norm? It would be the bargaining councils, am I correct? Correct. So and the bargaining councils. They would have to go and ensure that they form part of that scope, and that would then dictate the uh, allowance that they would have to then pay. Correct. Correct. And sorry. And what about a let's say a business that doesn't have a industry agreed upon standby allowance rate? In that instance, it would be by agreement between the parties. So it's something that would be negotiated. So, for example, the employee might ask for 70 rand per shift, for argument's sake. Um, The employer will then need to respond and then negotiate what the rate will be. And um, talking about negotiated rate, to start off, uh, what about actually going on standby in the first place, the never alone the rates? Do employees have to agree to be placed on standby or is it something that an employer can unilaterally place on their employees, i.e. Um, there's you know, work that it may be mm. required um, and by the word may be required, um, you need to come and be on standby for if I call you. Okay, so it's, it works on the same principle as overtime. So there's got to be agreement between the parties. So you need to, for example, mention it in the employment contract. Uh, the employee will then need to sign or agree to that by way of signature, or there needs to be some other policy document. Um, it cannot just be unilaterally imposed. Yeah, so they would have recourse if an an employer just says, well, by the way, if I call you over the weekend, you need to avail yourself. Uh, You can't go on holiday. You have to make sure that you are within an hour of the workplace. They can't do that unilaterally. You know, let's say that the uh, employer now says, okay, well, I, you know, we've agreed to stand by. Can they place them on standby indefinitely? I.e., when you are not at work, you are on standby. No. Um, The short answer is no, because remember, as a starting point, you've got to look at the Basic Conditions of Employment Act. Now, that piece of legislation states that an employee cannot work for more than 45 ordinary hours in a week and no more than 10 hours of overtime per week. Um, The Act also specifies that employees are entitled to what we call a rest period of 12 hours per day and 36 hours per week. So before you require an employee to be on standby, Um, indefinitely, as you mentioned, Um, the employer needs to be mindful of this and it needs to take into consideration what the act says. The employer also then needs to consider their operational requirements. So, for example, is there even a need for someone to be on standby 24-7? So, in a nutshell, no, you can't require them to be to be on standby indefinitely. <laughs> because technically, uh, they could be on standby and never called out, and that could be the, the rationale behind that. But as you say, yeah. the, the, the gamble then would be what happens if they do get called out, because then they might exceed the, the maximum amount of actual work done. 100%. So, so that, that, that's what I'm saying. Imagine if an employee is then on standby and they then get called out. 
let's say maybe not just that one time, but they get called out, they end up having to work that entire shift because there are certain industries where it's like that. I know specifically in the airline industry where you might be on standby, but then effectively being called out means that somebody hasn't arrived for work and then you end up not just going and attending to a piece of work you go and you work an entire day you can't then be expected straight after that shift to then go straight into your ordinary shift that was scheduled anyway correct correct so if they're in an instance like that once again the employer needs to consider their operational requirements so if you are if a person for example is required to work a 12-hour shift and still be on standby for a further 12 hours um, one needs to obviously look at the productivity uh, of the individual you know um, the idea behind rest periods is exactly that it's rest after all 100 percent. and um, when there is a agreement for for standby um, that would obviously then um, uh, have that reciprocal um, allowance paid for it can an employer put uh, terms and conditions on that standby i.e. Um, and wh- what would be the limits or those those as well? I mean, they can put those and say you have to avail yourself within a specific period of time mm-hmm. um, or you may not do this, you may not do that. Um, you might have employees that go and, uh, again, I've used the word twice now, gamble <laughs> on the fact that, you know, I'm not going to get called out. So they carry on with their normal yes. lives and then end up getting the call and then they're too far away from the office to actually have any meaningful uh, return. Um, can the employer then put those conditions in place and... Um, what would be the boundaries on this? I would say I would say yes. So my opinion would be yes in as far as the employee being remunerated um, for being on standby. It's ultimately something that the employee has agreed um, to, to undertake. So, for example, some industries specify that if you are called to attend to a, um, to a job or whatever the case may be, and you actually fail to respond, you can potentially forfeit that allowance. So that's something that the employer could perhaps um, work into to the terms and conditions, if you want to call it. But yes, they can specify certain parameters within which an employee um, should be on standby. So, for example, available telephonically um, within the, you know, the area, etc., and uh, I suppose that answers the question, the, the, the inconvenience on having to avail yourself or not being able to go on with your normal after our activities comes with that payment. And that's Correct. what you're actually then paying them for. So if I'm paying you to be on standby, I can expect you under these conditions to then avail yourself because then what would be the point if you, if you don't? Exactly. Um, and that being said, let's say things go wrong. Um, an employee is scheduled for standby. Um, they get called. They don't answer their phone or they do and they say, I'll be there right now. And then they don't avail themselves. Mm -hmm. What does the employer then do? So again, um, depending on the terms and conditions of that standby, um, one could, for example, forfeit their standby allowance. That's the first option. The other option that could potentially arise is um, a form of misconduct because ultimately there is a failure or a refusal to um, actually work that standby or to actually be available during that standby period. Yeah, obviously the fact that they're on standby means the employer probably required them. Correct. Them not availing themselves could prejudice the employer. Yes. Um, and the question that usually gets asked about that, now I don't avail myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on standby. I'm obviously now, not gonna, as you say, don't get paid my standby amount and then I get disciplined. That, what's that question that always gets asked? Is that not double jeopardy? Um, I would think not. Um, remember that your that remuneration is payable irrespective. It doesn't, for example, um, uh, depend on 
your performance during that time, you know, for argument's sake. Um, but with regards to an employer's right to take disciplinary action against an employee, that is a, it's exactly that, it's a right um, that forms part of the employer's, um, employer's scope of power. Yeah, so the payment aspect of it, um, effectively the person not availing themselves or being contactable means that they weren't on standby, they weren't doing what they were supposed to. Correct. Standby means that you would avail yourself for immediate deployment. Um, so the discipline for not doing that wouldn't then m- make it a double punishment for no. it. It's effectively one doesn't give rise to the expectation of pay, Correct. but then also the fact that it was then a breach of the rules or the agreement or the agreed rules in that term. Exactly. Um, another form of, of potential misconduct, um, they arrive um, for duty, but now they are in an unfit state to work mm-hmm. because they took that gamble, they went to that party, they didn't think that they were going to get called out, they've had a couple of drinks, now they get that call and they choose to then go and arrive, but you know that they're in an unfit mm-hmm. state to work. Look, um, you've, you've got to look at it from an employer employer's perspective. We give an undertaking, for example, to a client or there is a service level agreement in place stating that we will be uh, we will be available, we will provide a service during those particular hours. Um, if an employee then arrives um, in an unfit state, then misconduct or at least disciplinary action would usually be the most appropriate. Yeah, most employers um, would have the rule of can't be under the influence of intoxicating substances, exactly. whatever they may be. Um, so the moment you then actually arrive for duty, you are then... Um, in breach of your rules, but there can also then be rules for your behavior exactly during your standby shift, exactly. I'd say, as well. Exactly. Um, and the usual rules apply. I mean, obviously, you have to have evidence that the person was actually under the influence. You've got to, for example, do a, um, a breathalyzer test, for argument's sake, just to see whether or not those factors do, in fact, apply. Yes, and that, that's a great segue into a question that always gets asked, and I know that you it's probably been asked of you many times, um, you know, employers specifically, and I don't want to go into that side, of, that's a topic of its own, but just in short, mm-hmm. um, my employee arrives, they're under the influence of an intoxicating substance, which I don't know what it is, but I know that this person isn't acting correct. In that specific instance, I don't have a breathalyzer, I'm not going to hold them down and draw blood, Um <laughs> What do I do? Well, definitely. Um, I sincerely hope no one will be holding anyone down and drawing blood. But um, from, a, from a practice perspective, so the first question we always ask is, is there a policy in place? Um, whatever the policy is with regards to being under the influence whilst on duty, um, that would dictate the process you would then follow. If there's no particular policy in place which dictates you know, the, the method uh, in which the, uh, the breathalyzer or the the exercise should be conducted, then usually what we do is we do it in two steps. Um, the first step would be a, a, an observation test. So you would look at the person, are they, for example, unsteady? Uh, do they, do they, are they unsteady on their feet? Bloodshot eyes, smelling of alcohol, um, slurred speech, all of those sort of indicators. And when it's not alcohol, they are... Um you know, well, they're, they're finding everything hilarious and they've got correct. their hands stuck in a bag of flings. Correct, correct. <laughs> um, so basically, we would look at all of those particular factors, do an observation test, um, and from there, we would then take the next step and ask them to consent to either uh, undergo a drug test or a breath or take a breathalyzer test. 
Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be a blood test. Um, you can obviously get your, uh, you know, get yourself a um, a drug test from clicks or from a disc chem. Uh, you do have those uh, sort of kits on hand, um, and obviously, depending on the results, you take a picture of that. Uh, take a picture of the results um, in the presence of hopefully the manager or someone from the office just so that there's witnesses um, and then usually disciplinary action would follow thereafter. But to clarify, in the absence of an open clicks in the middle of the night or mm. uh, having a calibrated breathalyzer or anything of the like um, due to the nature of onus of, of proof work. being yes. on a balance of probabilities, um, having, let's say, a witness, as you said on that step one, looking at the behavior, all those things that right. can be used um, as, as proof that this person sure. arrived for duty but they were in an unfit state to work or under the influence of, of, of intoxicating substances and the like. You mentioned it at the start, uh, a particular area that I think involves a lot of South Africans, and that's the domestic employment sector. Yes. Um, and a lot of us don't realize that um, uh, these people that are part of our lives and daily lives and all that um, are also subject to all these protections and rules and regulations for their, for, for their protection. And um, it's a lot of times where uh, employees are required to really go in above and beyond. Uh, domestic workers are really, really required in many circumstances to to work extended hours. Yes. We know the, the 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 circumstances with that, but as you said, there are also circumstances where they might be seen to be on standby and then subject to an allowance. Correct. What's the ins and outs with regards to that? Correct. So remember, with domestic workers, the first um, the first point uh, of departure is the fact that it is uh, recognised as what we call a vulnerable um, sector. It's not. Um, I mean, if you think of it, how many how many people do you know have a contract of employment in place for their domestic worker? Mm. It's usually a very unregulated um, uh, sector. So the starting point will always be the sectoral determination with respect to with respect to domestic workers. Um, and if a domestic worker is on standby after hours, so what that means is basically they don't actually uh, need to be um, or they aren't actually doing uh, a job, but they need to be. Uh, to be available for you know for duty they then should be paid a standby allowance as i said the amount currently is 38 rand 18 but that is obviously subject to change yes and um as you're saying these that that particular industry it's something that uh, um, needs more regulation and as you say it's it's common that employers in that industry um, do not have the, the basics and I think it's something that this platform can stress for employers and that mm -hmm. they should know uh, is that those employees, whether you're sitting in a corporate or yep. whether it's your domestic worker, their dispute resolution processes, um, the rules and regulations when it comes to BCEA, Labor Relations Act, um, obviously there's a sectoral determination that determines their specific sector. Employers must realize that how a employee that is treated in a corporate environment, mm -hmm. the rules and regulations are the same for any Correct. disciplinary action, incapacity and the like for somebody that is then working at their house and is a employee in terms of the, the, the Labor Relations Act. Correct, correct. Um, and t speaking of that, uh, whether it's the domestic market or um, normal uh, corporate and private sector, the allowance in particular, mm -hmm. and I think you might have mentioned this, but I think it's worth stressing. Yeah. When the standby is on a normal 
uh, or a, a day that would ordinarily acquire a doubling of payment or yes. a time and a half such as um, overtime um, or in fact public holidays and Sundays those would be the, the, the two main ones uh, somebody's required to be on standby on a public holiday um, or on standby on a Sunday does the allowance itself get doubled no uh, so the allowance won't be doubled but the rate of pay will be doubled if they actually render services on that day. So, for example, um, the Basic Conditions of Employment Act states that when you actually render services on a Sunday, your pay is double, unless you ordinarily work on that Sunday, in which case it's 1.5 times the um, hourly rate. But if you are required to then be on standby, the standby allowance still stands, um, but the actual rate itself will then be doubled or be um, you know, paid at 1.5, depending, of course, on the situation. Thank you so much. And uh, can we agree that you'll be on standby to come back to the show? Do we have to pay you an allowance? Can we maybe agree to an allowance? The I moment think, we need we'll some to burning that. topic, a burning topic comes up, I'm going to need you at a moment's notice to come back to the show so we can discuss it and get it out there. Definitely. But thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And look forward to the next time. Thank you very much. So that concludes another episode of Stuff Employers Should Know. Get in touch on social media or drop us an email at sesk at labornet.com. Let us know what you think of the show and let us know which topics you would like us to discuss. So from myself, BGD and Yas, who will be on standby till the next show, cheers. Stuff Employers Should Know was proudly brought to you by Labornet, management's ultimate HR solution. For more episodes from Stuff Employers Should Know, Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you play your favorite shows. Case law or statutes referenced in the podcast are current at the time of recording.